I'm 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 good to launch into it if you are. Yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. Let's well, do it. Well then. Uh normally I would do something like I am so excited tonight to have a new guest who I have had one meeting with where she was good enough to come and speak to the Ryerson Catalyst space where I was working at the time. Uh, you spoke to the fashion group and it was fantastic. And I have always wanted to get you back on the podcast or get you onto the podcast. And, and tonight is, is, is it. And I'm so happy to, to get this opportunity again. So for those who uh, don't know who you are, because I've never said your name yet, would you introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Yeah, absolutely. I, I miss those days of traveling and, and going back to Canada. You're listening to Can't Sell This, a podcast about creativity, creatives, and their process with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. But I'm Chelsea Klukas. I am uh, originally from Canada. I grew up in Calgary. I live in Seattle now. And uh, most of my work has been at the intersection of art and technology. And, uh, you know, one of my big focuses over the last 10 years has been around fashion technology. Um, in addition to many other things I do uh, at my uh, day job, I work at Oculus in VR and have kind of been doing projects and, and works at this intersection for, you know, my entire career and most of my life. And I have to say, like, you know, having having had the opportunity to, to see you speak live and, and I mean, at the, the, it's it's fantastic to have heard your history and we'll have to go into it, obviously. But I think it's amazing that you have been able to take what is is sort of a very high level interest in fashion and that intersection with technology and make that into something you can remain passionate about over the course of a decade and plus while simultaneously doing this other technology job job for like not small groups like you're working for oculus right now and you've worked for big companies in the past and i'm always very like i just think it's you're one of those very inspirational people in my mind well, well, thank you. I, I think, you know, one thing you have to love it. I mean, I couldn't do, I, I mean, I love my day job and I love my my second job. Um, and also, you know, I'm very privileged that I have the opportunity to to do two things. I mean, one, one tip is, uh, you know, not, not having kids uh, <laughs> gives you a lot more free time. Uh, but, you know, for most folks, if, if you know, it's, it's kind of a one-way door. Um, so yeah, I definitely have the privilege to be able to, to do all those things. Uh, you know, full-time and in my evenings and weekends. Well, I mean, and one of the things that um, you had talked about was working for Amazon and um, previous to to Facebook or Oculus is you'd, you'd worked on some very interesting product work. And, uh, you know, one of the things that struck me was that it was your own innovations that were the reason for it. You know, like the reason you were working at Amazon was that you were an innovative person, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, the thing that, you know, brought me from my transition into Amazon was actually doing a startup back in Canada, uh, my, my last startup in Canada, where we were looking at fashion. So that, that was kind of you know, one of my forays into fashion and technology focused around fit and and sizing and trying to, you know, this this was a while ago, about eight or nine years ago, when online shopping was just starting to take off. And we 
realized that a lot of people had trouble finding clothes that fit. Um, And the product was, was focused on women specifically um, cause you know, for, for the founder group, it was close to us as, as well as, you know, they were more vocal about this being a pain point than, um, men often were. So we were focusing on that and we were using social networks as a way to help find clothes that fit through a network of people who had, uh, not only similar taste, but also similar body type and size as you. Mm-hmm. So you would, um, you know, anonymously, you know, be able to enter in some things about yourself. You could go as far as your measurements or more general characteristics. And then, you know, we would match make you with people who had similar sizes. And then through that, you could, uh, you know, find brands that fit because we know, you know, a medium in one size in one brand isn't a medium in the yeah. other. Uh, and and also have this kind of you know social browsing feed, uh, and and that was actually what got me hired into Amazon. Where when I was at Amazon, I actually launched um, a lot of the features around fit and sizing, including uh, the the images and reviews, which you know seem you know so so important now, but those didn't exist as well as some of the fit and sizing yeah. things that that exist today. And and. While you were in Calgary and before joining Amazon, you had that's when you had started the fashion technology, like runway stuff as well, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and around the same time, I uh, I founded one of my first organizations with fashion and technology called Make Fashion. And at at the time, that one was uh, you know it was again very early. And we we were a combination of founders, me with my background, the other founders owned an experimental art gallery. Um, you know, one was uh, an engineer. And so as a group, we kind of realized that there was this really interesting innovation in the technology around wearable technology. Uh, and, you know, this was in, in the days of Google Glass and, and, you know, some more things were coming onto the market, you know, easier uh, cheaper and better performing, but there wasn't a lot of intersection with that and and you know some of our world and some of my world as far as the art and the creativity and the storytelling. And the way that founded was was kind of by accident where we uh, got together a group of of artists and makers and and just kind of people from Calgary who we know would be interested in this and and talk to them and show them some examples of the few places that this existed and said, hey, what if we got together, uh, made made some projects like this and just did a fashion show? Right. Uh, and, and we did. And we, we booked out this tiny art gallery and then, you know, came up with some really amazing pieces, you know, some really talented designers there. And then, you know, these images and videos started circulating. And, and then from there, it just exploded. Right. And did you find... I mean, part of what what I've been interested in with with watching your work is that you are not only interested in technology, but the actual design of the the pieces that go with it, right? So it's not like you just go, look, there's a light, I'm going to shove it under a, a, a piece of fabric and that makes it, you actually are really interested in, in the design of the piece as well. And did you find that your collaborations with fashion designers helped to drive that interest? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the great thing about, collaboration in, in any creative space, but in this in particular, is that you interact with people who all have very different perspectives and tastes on how this should look and, right. and how the technology can can and should be utilized. You know, some designers 
really leaned into the fantasy and the costume uh, aspect of it. So, you know, some of our designers are, are always doing these very eye-catching, show-stopping, you know, like beautiful Grand. bursts yeah. of light. Yeah. And, and other designers take it in a different direction and try to do, you know, very classic couture designs and have the technology be really an accent or, mm-hmm. or very subtle but unique and kind of everywhere in the range in between on that. And, and some people really lean into the technology itself, um, you know, and, and utilize and have the technology be the forefront where the first thing you see is the technology and, and it's kind of reinterpreted as a part of fashion. So that, that's been really fascinating about the whole process and the journey uh, since founding this. Well, as, as part of the make fashion group, were you, did you see yourself or was your role mostly as a facilitator in the collaborations between technologists and designers or were you actively collaborating with designers or, you know, that's where I'm, I'm kind of curious about how, how that role worked out. That's a great question. My role actually started as the facilitator and as the organizer. Uh, and, and that was, you know, initially how I, I saw myself. I, I had, some self-taught fashion interest and, and, you know, some technology background, obviously working in tech at the time, but I didn't really see myself as being capable of, of innovating to the degree that these designers and, and talented makers and engineers were. But then after a few years, you know, I kind of got FOMO. It, it seemed like everyone was having a lot of fun. And, and you know, if any anyone who's organized events know, like running around behind the scenes. And uh, I was like, hey, I, I want a little bit of that, that, you know, fun and glory. And I, I actually had a couple ideas that were uh, on the back burner over, over you know, some time of doing this and having learned a lot from the other designers. So then I decided to participate with my uh, first piece called Lumen Couture, which actually ended up being the name of, of my brand, yeah. which is a projection mapped dress. Uh, and that was kind of my debut into the, the runway and, and being on both sides of it. But then it's even harder because then you're organizing the event and your piece has to show. So then, you know, it ended up yeah. just being twice but it was really fun and did you did so did you end up sort of pulling yourself away from the facilitation work so that you could focus on the design work or did you sort of just back out of the whole thing or or is this or is this leading into where you were starting your startup with the the fit um product yeah so um i was i was kind of doing both uh you know and it, it was it's it's always been challenging as, as three founders, you know, for none of us, this was our, our day job. And, you know, at, at various pieces of the project, some people, uh, you know, contributed and, you know, more or less in, in different ways. So I pivoted my role to mostly be around the marketing and, and social media right. design, which is, you know, something that I could kind of bring to the table. And then um, Shannon and Maria, the other founders focused more on the events and some of the other areas of development. But then the interesting thing with make fashion is, uh, over time, and particularly once I physically moved away where I could have even less involvement in some aspects of it, um, each each founder and kind of branched off and created different pockets that kind of built on top of this to actually create this whole right. ecosystem. Um, Shannon, one of the founders, he, you know, he had a lot of interest in the actual boards themselves and the components. So he's been spinning off and actually honing in on creating these components that can be utilized by designers. Um, You know, and we also had an education branch off as well as uh, my own ready to wear line. Right, right. Um, In terms of... uh in terms of, of, of moving away and, 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 and starting a new role, especially with some, something like Amazon, like, like that's a, a large, a large entity. Um, 
h- how had you found that shift? It, was it, was it, did you instant, here's the, I'm, 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 let me, this will edit, this will edit together into something more clever, but <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the way to say this. I'm just thinking about, you know, when you, when you have like such a drastic change in lifestyle, you go from living in Calgary, working in Calgary to going to Amazon, which was that in, in Seattle as well? Yeah. 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 So that's a big change. And then working for something that is so large in Amazon, how long before you re-engaged your creative juices into the Lumen Couture work from when you started at Amazon? Or, or did you find that you're just constantly at it? Yeah, I mean, when I, you know, a, a few things happened, you know, one was there were just a, a ton of shifts in my life, you know, personal life as well, you know, a lot of things changed, uh, you know, moving from one country to another having I had one friend uh, in Seattle. So, it, you know, it's, it's better to have one than zero, but I had one friend. Uh, right. And also, moving to the US on my initial visa, I actually legally couldn't do any side stuff that could in any way, shape or form come earning across money. as, yeah, as a side business or, or earning money. So I essentially had to put everything on hold. Um, my involvement in McFashion had to be a little bit more stealth. Like I had to be very careful to be compliant that I wasn't, you know, continuing to work for, uh, you know, work, although, you know, never, never really was generating income, but even that you can get in trouble for. So I, I did have to, you know, uh, legally put things on hold. Um, and then also, you know, just give myself some time to reacclimate to a new city, um, a new role, um, and, and, you know, kind of being on my own. So there was a bit of a pause, although I did continue to stay creative in in other ways, you know, I was intentional about breaking out some coming back to things like drawing and and painting and, and digital art to make sure that I could continue to keep my creativity going. And then it was, Later, you know, once I was, you know, first of all, legally ready to re, when I had my green card and could reestablish a business as well as uh, felt like I had my feet on the ground a little bit more. Right. And, you know, had had you been able to take the work that you had been doing with Make Fashion, those collaborations that you'd had, had you been able to allow that to inform your then work with, with the, the RGBLED work that you had been doing where you'd created a controller and battery pack and stuff like that yeah absolutely and and i mean all of it comes from that experience and i mean the the good thing was you know i calgary is only an hour and a half flight away so i was able to go back often and and participate and kind of see what the you know the designers were doing so uh my my own brand lumen couture came out of uh you know constantly in all these shows people would be coming up to us and saying well where where can i buy my own um version of this and uh hearing over and over but the nature of the work we were doing was that it they were these very handcrafted hours and hours of work pieces so you know first of all a lot of designers wouldn't sell them and if they did it was like you can't even put a a price point on that, that that you know the average person can afford so then i was inspired to take all of the things we had learned um, you know, and and some key things like how to make it durable. We learned that from doing shows over and over from, you know, some some tears and, you know, things things breaking or not working. Right. How to make them safe has been super important, um, you know, from day one. How to make them washable. We, uh, I remember, you know, initially 
we, you know, kind of made them assuming, oh, we'll wear them a couple of times. But then as they got more popular, I remember there was this one dress we had and it was shipped to me and, uh, and I opened it and it just like the smell came out. <laughs> we, were, we were making these, these poor models where this, this dress that hadn't been washed, uh, which we, we stopped doing after that. So all these things we learned, uh, I was able to kind of translate into my own brand as well as developing right. the components themselves. Well, it's, it, it is an interesting point to make that every, every bit of it is discovery, right? When something doesn't exist, every, everything is discovery. And, 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 and exactly. for, yeah. for, um, you know, your work, it's not just a matter of slapping lights into fabric, you know, there's a lot more thought behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in the um, the creative design, as well as in the, the technical design, and I've, I've also started, you know, on YouTube and, and on various websites, you know, giving designers kind of these starting points and these things you need to think ahead of before you even start designing. And, and you know, they come up again and again, and you eventually just learn these techniques as with any skill or trade, you know, after, after doing it, yeah. or you, you just kind of get the information, but yeah, it was, it was all new. We, we really didn't know and, and kind of learn from each other. And, you know, one designer would try one thing and, and share. And, and I think, you know, community comes up a lot when we talk about it, because uh, the great thing is, is that there is, it is a community and it, it was, and then, you know, in, you know, physically in the makerspace and within Calgary, uh, but also online, there's a great community of, of people sharing, you know, their wins and losses on developing mm -hmm. these types of projects. And uh, when did you join Oculus? That was a few years ago, a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah. So I've been at Facebook. I initially started on a different project at Facebook. And then Oculus, I've been in two years and a bit, two and a half years now. So, yeah. Okay. And how has how has working within the, the virtual world informed your work in the real? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, certainly this this year was really interesting with e e that need to connect with people. I mean, a lot of the work that I do within VR is about connecting people. I mean, that's kind of at the core of of what we do. Whether you're, right. uh, you know, playing a game with people or meeting them, and, and at least you know my my specific role and interests within VR are around that, you know, that presence uh, and and feeling close to people in, in VR is one way to do that, which I think is really great and powerful. So uh, it's, it's certainly translated to, uh, you know, how I think of other ways to help people connect with each other over distances. Mm. Uh, you know, with, with fashion, that's been, you know, with, with the actual design of the clothes themselves, you know, that hasn't really been the solve for it. But in how I've evolved the business and how I've started to think about the projects, you know, one, uh, you know, project that became very popular this year was a LED mask that displayed messages on it. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's you know one one way of displaying or connecting with someone from a distance, like a physical distance with with text. This kind of display on your face. I want I want to talk about that actually. You know, it was seeing seeing that mask come out and then seeing and I I, I the the. The frustration of seeing knockoffs, you know. Yes. Yeah. And you know, for you, every time you innovate and then see something just come out that's cheaper, it's you know not as thought through. Um, how do you? How have you handled that particular emotion? <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it's 
it's expected and and you know i've always known you know even pre-mask it's like you know someday someone's gonna copy this uh you know i think one of the challenges is that you know there where the work is manufactured in china they have a very different uh, way of thinking about IP and, and copyright, which is mm-hmm. um, very well intentioned. Actually, one of the suppliers that that was creating copies of my mask like reached out to me and was like, "Hey, you're the person who made this. We love it. It's it's been great business for us. Like, thank you so much." <laughs> like, without even thinking that that was like n- not a positive thing, right? Um, and was like, "Do you have any more ideas? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to pay me for the first one? That would be great. That would be amazing." Yeah, and it's, you know, and and you know, sometimes sometimes like for us culturally that's very rude and like obnoxious i'm like i can't believe you do that but you know i'm certainly not an expert on um chinese culture by any means but you know from my understanding it's that's just like it's fine it's not seen as something that's negative or or stealing certainly um so you know i've tried to not have emotion about it and and try to just think you know try to stay one step ahead of the curve uh, and i have patented the work but there's so many challenges with enforcing that that it, it comes down to you know, as a creative person, do I want to be spending time chasing patents and, uh, yeah. you know, and defending- it, becomes, it, it becomes your version, right? Like your version is this, their version is that your version has quality. Their version does not, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's so yeah. much thought process involved or process involved with, with creating a product that I was always, I was, I was very impressed when you showed your controller that you're like, Oh, any, five volt battery pack you just plug it in and and it works the controller does its thing and you have presets and all this stuff um you had actually sent your full face mask to uh, a mutual friend of ours leon in in australia uh and to watch him struggle with dealing with the communication protocol i thought that was just you know I, I thought that was really satisfying to watch because this this is a person who I thought when he showed it I was like oh my god you know you know Chelsea this is this is amazing and then he was like I can't make this do what I want it to do and I'm just gonna f- brute force it my way and you know like you've managed to do this thing where you've innovated to an extent that you feel welcoming of 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 and it's it's nice to see it's very satisfying to see you you welcoming in someone else who in in one sense would be considered a competitor but in another is a collaborator yeah and i think that's that's where the community is is so important and and you know looks after each other and um you know so many of my ideas have been uh you know borrowed or built off of other other people's ideas and there's this community of of sharing and and trying to you know share the credit as as well as the ideas i mean you know i, I think the other challenge you know that that made me think of with the work that i'm doing is that uh when you're trying to produce it for a mass market uh you can't do everything and that's something that mm-hmm. i've learned too you know a lot of folks want to have you know a protocol and an api and and diy and they want it to be fast and cheap and foolproof and you, you can kind of pick like one or two yeah. uh, which has been an interesting part of the process where you have to do trade-offs or yeah you can do it all but then it's going to be a 400 dollars product yeah. uh that people are going to say it's too expensive so yeah yeah, it's a it's a tough yeah product product work is 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 tough because it ends up being it ends up being just that one it, for for instance you know if you're doing a product and you're working through maybe Patreon for instance there's the there's the problem of everybody that's given you a dollar feels you now owe them time that 
you know, you're like, well, yeah, you, you know, this, this is not my job. Like you've, you, you've earned whatever you have earned through it. You know what I mean? Or if you're doing it off of Kickstarter, it, again, it's like, when am I getting it? When am I getting it? And when you're self-funding, as as you have been doing, right? You are entirely bootstrapping. The decisions are, every one of them is yours. And the, yeah. what kind of difficulty has that been to, to decide to go that route where you're bootstrapping the entire thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things with with Lumen Couture is that, um, you know, some some decisions are really important to me and some I'll, I'll, I'll kind of um, offload, you know, for example, the software of a lot of the products, I will have the hardware manufacturer develop the software. And it's different than software I would, mm -hmm. I would build. I mean, I'm a designer, a lot of the apps, uh, because they're manufactured in China are also designed in China, um, and don't have, you know, it's not how I would design it from the ground up. But, you know, for me, it's important that they're functional, they're, they work. Uh, and that, you know, there's the price point is is important too. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times people will come with feedback on, on things that could be better. And it, it's like they could, but then there's sort of a price point where the market um, won't accept it or where, where I'm, you know, not making any money at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's this this balance in in all of these things, and you kind of just have to make decisions and and stand by them and learn from the feedback and always solicit it. And and you know, you learn the the types of things that are prioritized. The other thing that's been really interesting about this work um, and sort of the speed at which it's it's copied is that you don't have that luxury of a lot of time, yeah. um, unless unless you have the scale to really lock down the process so that people can't uh, take the ideas and especially working remotely, you know, I'm sending ideas and sketches to various manufacturers to get quotes and those are being shared and they're, and they're saying, yeah. you know, like that's, that's a good idea. Let's, let's build that or a different version of it. Um, or, you know, the same, the same guts and, and just a different package. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you can prevent that. There's ways to prevent that at, you know, and, and a lot of hardware manufacturers and people do, but again, it's a different process. It's more expensive, uh, slower. And, uh, you know, I've made the decision that that's not going to be my priority as I move forward. Yeah. And so how, how have you adjusted your priorities? Actually, that's a good question because, uh, once, you know, once you manage to figure out what a, a good workflow for creation of the LED mask, and you've you've already done like an LED belt that does the same sort of has the same kind of functionality. What what is your next step that you that you feel is is the next sensible move for you to make? Or yeah, nonsensible. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the great thing with with all of these, these, you know, partners back in China is that, you know, we are talking about different ideas kind of daily. And, and I have, um, you know, in, in, embraced that idea sharing, uh, you know, and, and, you know, as I mentioned that, you know, the, the folks that reached out to me and were like, Hey, do you have any new ideas? And it was like, well, you know, if, if I, you know, I'd, I'd rather have the conversation and, and get, you know, feedback from you. Cause obviously they're really good at building things really fast and cheap. So mm -hmm. hey, maybe the manufacturer who, who's been, you know, making, cheaper versions of my mask is the one to go with because they figured out how to make it cheaper, which is great. I mean, that's, that's very right. innovative. So, um, you know, I think one of the great things is that I, I sort of have a network of folks who are, who are really collaborative um, and, you know, easy to work with. And I sort of have an understanding of their capabilities and prices. So um, I have a few ideas that I've been kind of going back and forth with now in particular, trying to predict what's next after the pandemic, trying right. to predict will people want to be going out a lot can i kind of pivot the business back to where it was pre-covid um because 
you know, the reason I focused on the masks for so long was that people were not wearing these, um, you know, like flashy clothes and flashy accessories because no one's going anywhere. So yeah, that, yeah. that pivoted the business, the nature of the business quite a lot, um, you know, almost almost a full 360. Um, and similar to the full face changing mask, people are using it on on streams because it displays quite well digitally and from a distance. But will that change? So I'm trying to kind of predict where the world is going to be, you know, yeah. in the fall once books are out again. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of that quote from Robots where it's see a need, fill a need. You know, it's like, you know, what what are you looking at in six months? Especially states versus Canada. Canada is not going to be in the same place the states is, right? Yeah. Like it, yeah. we, we have a very different situation when it comes strictly on a vaccine front. We're, we're in a very different situation. So, you know, how, do you find that you are keeping an eye on both markets or are you are you now more fully focusing on the american experience and the american market because of just numbers in general or or are you are you trying to split the difference and and focus on both markets at once yeah i mean generally my audience is quite global uh, logis- logistically though just you know shipping within the us is much simpler so you know when when i do market and advertise i tend to to target that just because it the costs are are lower to me as well to the mm-hmm. consumer as far mm-hmm. um as shipping fees and, and duty fees you know that it does you know start to get a little tough sell for folks international when you know the, the shipping and the duties cost as much as the product you know and, and then even the yeah. expectation is higher um you know and your expectation is higher if you spend all this money on shipping because it's it's more money, so you expect it to do yeah. to do other things. So just logistically, it's been a little bit easier. But sort of my perspective is is looking more global, and and particularly you know pre COVID, most of my major events were actually international as opposed to being U.S. based. Right, is part of that due to more of an appetite towards technology and fashion? And I mean, I'm thinking more along the lines of Europe and and Japan. Um, there is way more like in Japan, especially fashion and technology is, is a, it's like a fully embraced thing within the, the youth culture. Um, but in Europe as well, um, are you finding, you know, when, when all of a sudden you were in lockdown, did you start to think, well, maybe I need to be making my own, <laughs> my own culture here to make this work for me in the U S yeah. I, I mean, it, it almost like when you're not going anywhere, it, it doesn't matter at all. It, you know, it was like, cause we're, we're not doing things in the U S we're not doing things internationally. So um, yeah. And, and I think as, as far as the international, I think it's, it's just very different as you described, each country sort of has a different um, reason for having interest in this and having a culture and the community around it. And, and yeah. as you mentioned, I, I think there's, there's certain pockets like in Japan and in Berlin, there's a big community and there's, there's these kind of pockets. And then I think there's other places where they haven't seen it before. So it's, it's novel and they're interested in kind of bringing in and um, you know, and I, I recently, well, you know, 2019 did an uh, event in Mumbai where there's a big fashion scene there, but they hadn't, right hadn't seen a lot of this this type of work before and and a lot of folks are very inspired by it. and I, I think a few folks have started to do similar things which is really cool to kind of bring this concept over and bring these ideas over and have people start to do their own spins on it which is is really cool especially sort of in the context of their world and in their culture all have sort of a different take on it mm-hmm. are you seeing with 
Oculus, obviously Oculus in particular, but with the um, Oculus Quest 2, are you seeing a possibility for live events done entirely in VR that, you know, that like the runway could be, could be camera, the VR cameras on the runway and allow users anywhere to, to watch that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it has been, been happening, you know, for, for a while. And, and certainly there were many more VR events that happened during the pandemic as a way to mm. bring people together. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to increase more and more. I, I do think, you know, that certain types of events lend themselves better to, to VR, some For sure. lend themselves better to in-person. Um, but, you know, the one of the great things is that, you know, you can kind of have any seat you want in the house or kind of see it from all vantage points. You kind of have that front row seat, which which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I haven't, I, I it's funny, I have an Oculus Quest too, but I, I rarely use it. I mean, I use it all the time. <laughs> I, I rarely use it. It's just one of those funny things where I'm like, I don't really have enough space for the whole thing so when i do stationary stuff it's okay but it's such yeah. a great experience when you have the space to do it you know um are you it's okay uh, I, I re redesigned my whole living room i got rid of my furniture when i joined oculus so i, I didn't have the have space, the space. Until I, so obviously not everyone can do that <laughs> i have to lift the coffee table on my couch and just and just be like okay i've got the space now no nobody touch anything in here um do you find um uh, uh, is the is the fashion and tech community still pretty tight? Do you, are you, are you still like talking to this? Are you talking to the same people, or are you talking to new people? Like, are new people coming on board, or are you? Are like I think I think one of the things that that I've always been very curious about is, you know, as a as a speaker within the the flash community and then with development is is it's not about the people that are already talking. It's about the people that are coming in to add to the conversation. That's most interesting. And are you finding that that, that that's been happening? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, this year has been interesting and, you know, part of it could just be that I haven't been seeking as, as, as many new, you know, connections. I, I haven't seen as much growth in, in other years, you know, there, right. and, and I think a lot of, sort of the in-person nature, um, not only of the creation, but also sort of of the um, the execution of it, right? I think fashion overall, you know, is there is a lot that it has been done in digital spaces in fashion, particularly in this year, but I think ultimately, you know, the industry has been, been kind of on hold or, or shifted yeah. to kind of more comfy loungewear. Uh, so I think there's there's been kind of the twofold, like people are, are not meeting as often and they're not sort of serendipitously seeing this. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the thing I love about events is that you kind of introduce this to new people and they discover it. Whereas, yeah. you know, you know, most people don't wake up one day and say, oh, I want to go to a fashion technology event. You, you kind of have to group on other things or help them discover it. So I, I've seen less growth, but I think, you know, pre-pandemic, certainly I felt like there was very consistent growth with new people coming mm. into the community. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the only way it works, honestly. Like, I think the thing is still, ha this is what happens in fashion as well. You get four or five big names and then that's all you ever see. And once somebody breaks in, you're like, oh man, it's, just, it's like so exciting to see this new voice and it's like, oh, breakout star, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, I think what, what's, what's problematic within fashion as an haute couture fashion is, is that they're not welcoming of new voices, you know? And I think what's nice about technology is 
for the most part, there is a welcoming attitude towards new voices. There's an interest in what someone new has to say. Um, that's it, it's a shame to find out that that it you know everybody kind of I mean I did too, but everybody kind of went on hold in the past year, waiting to be able to see each other in person again. You know. Yeah, and I think for you know a, a lot of folks, you know, I, I talked at the beginning about sort of my my privilege to be able to work on these things. For a lot of people, you know, they they lost even more of that. You know, for uh, you know, I, I kind of joked about about not having kids, but it's it's been tough, you know, for for everyone. But I think particularly for parents who now have to homeschool their kids or take on additional you know household chores. So I think you know a lot of folks I've talked to in the community for a variety of reasons or caring for family members or just, you know, not having the space. They used to go somewhere to do these things, just mm-hmm. had to put it on hold just to kind of survive this year. Uh, and and everyone's had different experiences with that throughout the year and, and different, you know, even if it's physically or time possible, sometimes, you know, emotionally and mentally not having that energy mm-hmm. uh, because just of, of so much that's been going on. Well, you know, we, my, my wife, uh, my wife is a designer and quilter and, and we, we talk a lot about, you know, working for yourself versus working for us. I work for someone else. So doing something like this, I mean, for me, it's almost nine o'clock, but you know, my day doesn't end until I'm done this part of it, you know, but yeah. if I don't do this, then I'm not satisfied with, I can't be satisfied with my day to day if I'm not doing something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's the yeah. one thing that's kind of kept me sane for this past year has been maintaining this structure for myself. I don't know how I would how I would have gotten through it otherwise. So have yeah. you found that you've created for yourself like I'm just going to keep doing these things like th- that pivot to the masks is a good example. But, you know, did you find yourself like diving in pretty hard <laughs> like into the masks? So you're like, oh, man masks masks you know <laughs> well you know the, the mask thing is funny because that was actually an accident i i really uh, you know it, it it really was was this accident where i you know things shut down i was very demotivated to do anything with with lumen couture you know in, in the first couple months mm-hmm. and then i kind of picked up the sewing machine and was like well i'll start making some masks because i have fabric scraps and this is you know right when we started learning that was the thing to do uh and then, you know, I just had the the component next to it. And then I was like, oh, this this would be cool. And it started as a DIY. I, I, I was right. selling the components because I was using them for other things. So there was, you know, a little bit of a motivation to get people to make their own and, you know, hopefully buy the product from me. But uh, there was so much interest that then, you know, I just quickly pivoted. And luckily I had the manufacturers lined up. You know, we had some delays in the beginning, as, as everyone does with a mm. new product. And, uh, and then, you know, really pivoted to selling these masks and much less focus on the DIY. It very much changed my audience, not only from the, because previously I had a pretty niche audience of DIY and people were already right. interested in this and it became very mainstream. Um, also the gender demographic shifted quite a bit to go from, um, you know, majority female consumers of the work because I was doing dresses and, 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 you know, a lot of um, garments for, for women's fashion. Yeah, to to a different demographic with with a lot of uh, men wearing them, which which made me really start thinking about accessories and and kind of how I could expand this. So it it changed a lot of things, and and a lot of the work became less creative and a little bit more operational. Like, how am I going to mm-hmm. ship these masks? How am I going to 
how am I going to figure out how to assemble 50 boxes uh, yeah. without having staff because of the pandemic? So some some creative aspects kind of fell by the wayside in this this kind of rush to operationalize it. But I learned a lot about other parts of the business that I had been kind of neglecting previously right. you know, for the sake of the creativity. So and, and I made money for the first year of the business or of doing any of this, which was a little bit nice, you know, in, in addition to doing <laughs> some donations. Better than losing money, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that anybody that 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 has a full time job and then also operates their own side gig, as as it were, um, making money is it rarely becomes the focus. You know, it's always about not losing money. And I yeah. think that it's it's a funny it's a funny thing when you have a regular paycheck and you can say, well, you know, at least I didn't lose money. You know. So to, when you the look on your face and you're like, I made money. It was great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Again, you know, also also such a, a privilege of, of having that that steady check and not having to think about that throughout the business. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, one of the, the interesting things during this year was a lot of those operational tasks did start to feel like a job. Like they started to feel like this is work. And there yeah. were plenty of days where I was not looking forward to, you know, filling it you know it was cool to be like i'm shipping orders but then after you do it 200 times it got a little old like wow okay i've yeah. worked my long day and i'm going down to the the factory because uh, i i did recently get other other ways to sort of scale it up and get them you know boxed at, at different locations so i'm not doing it all myself but for most of the year it was just kind of me and my boyfriend when he was kind enough to you know work work some unpaid labor yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fulfillment is unfulfilling. I have to say, like, it's not yeah. a fun job. Uh, my, my, again, my wife sells uh, her own fabric in bundles and, and the, we, we discovered that Canada Post now does a thing where they'll do a pickup. So we'll just bring bins out to the, the curb with, with yeah. it and like 300 bundles going out and the guy's just, well, well, look at you. Aren't you busy? You know? And it's, it's yeah. just the printing stuff out putting it in the envelopes, sealing it up. Like it's, it's, it's the least enjoyable part of the process. And I know of, on my, for my wife's part, like she's just like, she just, I hate fulfillment. Like it's, it's such a suck of time, you know? So it's nice yeah. that you found a good workflow to, to get you through it, regardless of the numbers involved, you know? Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that's been, you know, enlightening is the customer service side of it. I mean, in, in, my early life, I worked plenty of service jobs, you know, behind various counters. Uh, and, you know, I, I knew, I knew it was coming, but, you, you know, for every, you know, nine really great, wonderful, reasonable customers usually get one who, uh, you know, and you try not to let it ruin your day, but, you know, if, if someone's totally. package is, is three days late and they like blast you and, and write 10 bad reviews because, you know, they, they expected it to come faster and it was things out of your control, uh, it, it's like, it hurts a little, you know, and, and even yeah. if you know, they're just, they're just some frustrated. You know, and... Yeah. And, and they probably do that to everyone. It, it, it's not, it's not fun to, to have that happen. You rarely, if ever remember the good reviews, you will always remember the bad ones. Like, yeah. especially if they're unwarranted bad reviews, like that's yeah, the sort of thing right. that it sits on you going, I feel like I need to email them. I need to straighten this out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, or when people don't give you feedback. And and I mean, especially because, um, and I also 
did end up uh, hiring a, a customer support person who's wonderful and, and kind of takes on the email because of the volume. And, you know, we, we try to like make everything right. And like, you know, it, other than, you know, when it's clear people are scamming us, we just try to give the benefit of the doubt. And then, yeah. you know, people will still kind of go off the rails, which is, I mean, it's human nature. And, and I don't think, you know, people mean to ruin someone else's day, but I, I think, you know, it is one of those things you have to deal with, which is certainly very far it's the farthest thing from the creative process uh, as possible. Mm -hmm. You had posted a video about women working for free. Can you provide context for that for the listeners? And then I'll, I'll include a video, a, a link to the video on the show notes. Yeah, 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 definitely. So um, folks can cling to, click to the link. Uh, I, I won't say the name of the organization here because I, I definitely don't mean to like bash any other organizations, but a prominent organization that was a part of the community focused on women in the space um, was running a contest with a big partner, a big corporate partner. And it was one of those spec work things where they were asking people, uh, it was open to everyone, but it was sort of presented under this, this women's brand to pitch their ideas and do quite a lot of work, like a full mm. proposal um, for the chance to have that be utilized as this brand's product. Right. Um, and I, I've always been critical of this type of work uh, from, from various brands, certainly not limited to this one, but, you know, this one went a little sideways because I, you know, first politely reached out and said, hey, you know, this, this isn't cool. Why are you doing this? And like, is this really what I think this is where you're like making people do all this work for this very ambiguous thing where basically they do this work and then, the brand takes it, but there wasn't even like a monetary reward. It was like literally get a chance yeah. to work for this company for free. And this is an opportunity. And those things always rub me the wrong way because they, they happen all the time. And again, I don't know if they intended this, this or not, but certainly the reaction that they gave back to me was, you know, that, that, yeah, they were right to do this and other people do this. Therefore it was okay. And I, I yeah. really disagreed with that. Um, you know, particularly positioned towards women in that, you know, we're, we already struggle with being asked to contribute our ideas for free. Exactly. And now we're kind of encouraging this, you know, frame them in this organization that's meant to help women. So uh, yeah, that, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, brands should pay for their work. There are mm -hmm. processes to do this. You can, you can do a, a call for, for pitches, but then ultimately that should be paid work. I mean, if, if people are doing work, they should be paid for it. And there's yeah. a whole, you know, predatory culture around unpaid internships and, 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 this exists everywhere. Um, so that's what that was about. And I, I very much stand by, you know, br big brands can afford to pay for work. Um, we shouldn't be asking people to work yeah. for free. For the, for the record, anybody who who's listening that isn't part of marketing or isn't part of any industry, spec work is speculative work. So the idea that you're, that you're providing work for free on the possibility that they will choose it it's it's it, it happens in advertising all the time anytime there's a design contest where it's like this brand wants you to design their new logo you know or write their new tagline and it's it, it this is this is why you get Bodie mcboatface as an option because the internet <laughs> is done with it you know like it, it's it's we're just done with it so the concept of and this you know it is interesting but especially when it comes to women like you know, getting the foot in the door is already difficult. So like the, the idea of like pr taking that from someone who has already spent time and effort to get somewhere and then go, you know, we're just not going to pay you. 
So, you know, but luckily we're going to pay one of you. So won't that be great? You know, not like the, my, my, my response when I was freelancing was, you know, people die from exposure. That's the problem. So if you want me to work for exposure, that's how you die. So I'm never working for free again. And I think I, I it really did strike, stri strike a chord with me that, that you'd posted interesting to see that it was a year ago. So it was like, just, just as COVID was hitting, just as right. we were all becoming more aware of being locked down. And yeah, it was, it was, it did strike a real chord with me. I, I am, I'm so against working for free. I might've even yeah, reached out to like, think, Oh, good road video, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think the more, <laughs> the more we talk about it, because I have seen brands do it well intentioned, um, you know, and and again, like you know, I'm I'm often vocal about stuff, not with the intention to like shame brands or or anything like that. But it's like, hey, this isn't good, and and don't do it again. And yeah. you know, often often though they they will double down. And I, you know, I got into it with a, a well-known Canadian shoe company uh, recently too, and they were doing the same thing. And they they really doubled down and were like, you know, um, you know, if if it was wrong, people wouldn't submit their their work you know they it's it's up to you if you want to submit it and it's like no that's that's not that's yeah. not how it goes uh yeah. they wouldn't if you if you paid them i'm sure you you get a lot more so yeah you're yeah. acting in a predatory manner for a bunch of people that are desperate for work we're not in that situation right now like this is not the time to be asking people to work for free like that yeah. there's never a good time to do it but when you're at the tail you're, you're a year into people being locked down a lot of people don't have work a lot of people are desperate. This is not the right time. I mean, there is never a good time, but this is definitely not the right time. You're looking like an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's how I, and you know, my counter argument is because always the argument comes up, oh, we're getting exposure for these people. And, and but it's like, if you want to give exposure not. to to an artist, just post their work that exists. Like there's plenty of, don't make it have to be about yeah. your brand. Like it's so transparent, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, these, then, you know, then, then, then use, then use the work that you can see as the reference for why, why you want them. Like that's the point of it. Like the point of a person having, you know, a, a, a robust Instagram feed that reflects their re real work. And it's not just them sunning themselves on the beach. That is them. That's their work. Like focus on their work. Don't ask them to come up with new work to benefit you. And it's, you know, anyways, whatever. I'm, yeah. That's, that's I get called super being riled up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy how often it happens. I think the good thing is there is more of a dialogue and, you know, anytime I've, I've spoken about it, um, you know, mostly online people, you know, and, and people will, will say, Oh, why is it wrong? And they'll, they'll realize it. So hopefully, you know, every, every person today who sees my frustration at it, you know, someday when their CEO will not make this mistake. Um, and certainly I've seen plenty of examples where, where brands just are not um, aware that this isn't a good thing and they really mm -hmm. didn't mean well. And often I've seen brands sort of retract this and, and some brands that I've engaged with have uh, retracted that and, and changed it, which I think is also really positive. That's great. Uh, so I, I think, you know, for, for it's like we talked about earlier, like, you know, that the ratio of, you don't remember the good ones because you get frustrated by the ones who uh, double down on their, their bad stances on stuff. There's been yeah. lots of times where I've been able to have dialogue and make a little bit of positive change. Well, and, and, and I mean, you know, our privilege is, is where we are able to make the change that we want to see happen. It's not about just going, well, that's the way it is. It, you know, if anything has over the past couple of years have shown me that man, white people are the worst. Like we, we, we have this opportunity now to functionally change what's going on and to fight against the stuff that we see happening 
while so many of us sit back and go, well, it's not happening to me, you know, and I think it's great that you could turn around and, and you use your privilege to say, this is not cool. This is super not cool. And, and, and to see you get people to change their, their minds, regardless of the ones that double down to see the ones that change their minds. That's like, you know, like a cheers to you. Good for you. That's, <laughs> that's so great. You know? Well, thank you. And I, I think another thing with, with that and, and, you know, I, I spoke about this recently on our, you know, my position as a white woman where, you know, often white women will focus on how, especially, you know, particularly as it relates to, to racial issues, will sort of focus on the prejudice that's been against us our whole lives and, and focus on that and say, well, you know, I have enough troubles why would I you know have to step up and, and help someone else when like you know we already have all these these issues that are unique to me but you know I think the counter to that 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 I always think about is that we're also in this unique position of having that empathy so we we have both we have both the yeah. the understanding and the empathy of what it means to be subject to discrimination but we also have the you know the power and the protectedness of our privilege of yeah. our whiteness that we can that we can use to to help and and you know are, are relatively safe in, in most circumstances to kind of step up and advocate. I mean, mm -hmm. similar to the, the, the spec work discussion, you know, I did lots of work for free and I was treated crappy when I was early in my career and I, I had those experiences. Um, and some people will, on a lot of issues, take the approach of like, well, I had it hard. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I turned out okay. Uh, but you know, a lot of people don't and it's, you know, there's other factors to why we turned out okay. It's a very, it's a very interesting perspective. It's, it, I'm not saying it's unique to um, uh, the U.S., but it is very obvious in the U.S. when someone says, you know, we could, we could pay for college education. We don't have to take out these loans. Let's stop predatory loans. The average response that I've seen is someone saying, "Well, I got a big loan and I paid it off, so why should?" they get the leg up and it's like but what people died from smallpox and you got a vaccine <laughs> why should you get the vaccine you know what i mean like there's a strange mindset that if i did it then everybody needs to do it and 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 you know again using your platform to say no more no more like this makes no sense to me this is the, this is the Canadian in America thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, certainly there are plenty of Americans who who you know are very involved no, in, in social justice. Yes. Um, but yeah, and I I think you know isn't the whole point of you know first of all being a human that we that we have empathy and want things to be better and also a progress that we want tomorrow to be better than yesterday. One would I think hope. One, um, and and yeah, you know, like it. It, it, it sucks to be like, you know, the, the last person who, uh, you know, got, got smallpox before the vaccine came out, but also like, that doesn't mean you shouldn't want the next person to get the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you, when you came to Ryerson, uh, that was part of, that was kind of part of your role, like you, uh, within Oculus or within Facebook or, you, uh, was, I know I invited you to come, but you were already coming yeah. to Toronto, I think. Yeah, for something actually, so else. that one was, yeah, that one was was kind of a, a personal hybrid. I was actually speaking at the um, Librarian Summit, which was a really interesting event to be invited to. So I did it speak, uh, I did a talk there, um, a little bit different from what I normally talk about. I kind of talked about the role of 
technology and a little bit of a positive spin on social media for learning and development and kind of talked about the um, maker communities and creative communities and why that that's a good thing. Uh, My my goal is kind of to talk to these librarians who might be like, internet's bad, social media is bad, and kind of show this different perspective of like, actually, there's really positive ways that this can be used to foster creativity. So that's why I was there uh, last trip. Yeah, that worked out really good. Actually, it was. It, I looked like a hero because it was. <laughs> it just turned. It, it was just one of those minutes where I was like, moments when I me- emailed and and said like, I would really love it if you could come talk to Ryerson. And you're like, as it turns out, I am going to be in Toronto, and it all worked out for the best. Um, and 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 tonight is is another example of that. Actually, tonight is a good example of of b- being willing to shift, <laughs> shift focus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm very very happy to have been able to have this conversation with you, Chelsea. I, I appreciate you giving me the time to to uh, go over what you've been up to. I I really am a huge fan, and and I'm I'm excited for when this comes out. Yeah, thanks thanks so much for listening and for the support. Hope to be back in Toronto sometime soon. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content in this episode is copyright Hugh Elliott and Stephen Grambart. Questions or comments can be emailed to admin at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Music for the podcast is provided by Not Of. Find Not Of at notof.bandcamp.com. Opening and closing voiceover provided by jeffwright.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, a like in whatever platform you use goes a long way to helping the podcast get noticed. Thanks for listening and keep creating.